Um, y'all, I'm so glad to be here. I, this is, um, so we moved to Fort Worth in 2015, and this is the first year that I have not been in small group Bible study because my children have been at home with me um, since March. Um, but <laughs> praise God, everyone went to a classroom this week and just in time for this lecture. Um, and I'm so thankful uh, for that. So I'm just going to introduce myself. My name is Ada Moore. Um, I have been a member at Fort Worth Press since 2015 when we moved here uh, with my husband, Ryan. I have, uh, we have four children um, ranging in age from 11 to 6. Um, and again, they are all in a classroom today, and we could not be happier about that. So, but it's so great to be with y'all. I have, um, like I said, been virtually learning and teaching with some children. Um, and Kelly was kind enough to let me lecture a few times. So I'll be back, but, um, I'm, I'm just glad to be here. Uh, this morning as we gather, as I'm sure you know, we're going to expound more on the subject of work, which you've just finished discussion, discussing in your small groups. And I'm going to pray for us and kind of jump in. Jesus, thank you so much for your word to us in the Proverbs. Would we uh, garner this wisdom? Would you bury it deep in our hearts? And would um, you use it to um, glorify um, yourself? Um, Would you use us as instruments uh, to do your work here and now? I pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Okay. So I come from a family of hard workers. I got my first job at 15 when I wanted to get a certain item of clothing. And my mom said, I'm not buying that. Um, If you want that, you need to get a job and pay for it yourself. So I did. I haven't stopped since 1995. Um, Hard blue and white collar work is the narrative of my family. And as I have read and studied these Proverbs, it's been really astounding to look back at my family history and see uh, the wisdom and godliness of hard work and its present benefits and rewards. Um, There really is so much practical, good application. Like, it really, this really is how the world works. Um, My paternal grandfather joined the Navy during the Second World War and worked to defeat the Imperial Japanese Navy in the Pacific. He then worked for General Motors until his retirement. Uh, My great aunt, uh, my dad's aunt, his sister, was a commissioned officer in the U.S. Coast Guard, one of the first female commissioned officers in the U.S. Coast Guard. She went on to work in New York City, where she later became a rare female vice president for a national company. My maternal grandfather, my mother's father, who grew up farming, joined the Air Force, before it was the Air Force, at 17 and began a lifelong career in aviation. His wife, who also grew up farming, joined him in raising four children. He worked for a paycheck until he was 85 years old. My mother and father have both worked full-time my entire life. Um, My father moved from the business world into um, public education mid-career and taught for an additional 25 years. Um, My mother, and some of y'all already know this, has been a nurse, um, both a certified registered nurse and a nurse practitioner. Like, she just retired last year and didn't even retire. She's still adjunct for the University of Tennessee. So, um, and my father, although he's retired from teaching, is still coaching, um, 
still working just in a, like he went and worked for UPS three Christmases ago and just delivered packages. He still substitute teaches. It's just insane. So um, my in-laws, Ryan's parents are the same, are the product of the same tireless work ethic. Ryan's grandfathers are no different than mine. One a farmer and the other one a World War II vet from Patton's Army who came home from Europe to work in a typewriter factory, raising four children with his wife until his retirement. My father and mother-in-law just retired a little less than five years ago um, from almost 40 years in the McDonald's franchise business. Um, there is rarely a family holiday on both sides that doesn't include some sort of project. We are workers. Why am I telling you all this? Um, this is my frame of reference when it comes to work. It's hard. You do it. And that's life. I have no problems with what the Proverbs tells me about work and laziness. I have seen it lived out. My family tree is full of branches of hard workers. It's a virtue I love, and I really hope to instill it in my children. So that must be it, right? Work hard, don't be lazy, and it pays off. Thanks, Proverbs. Good to know. Uh, not so fast, right? What I want our time to be about this morning is not just the benefits of the hard work and the consequences of laziness, though they are important and very real. I want to know what we can learn about the Lord himself from his own wisdom. And what about our Savior Jesus? How might these wisdom lessons make God and his son bigger and more beautiful to us today? So I've got two points on your outline. I've got God's work ethic, and then Jesus knows our work and redeems our work. Very, very simple. So let's jump into God's work ethic. Wisdom literature reflects God's law in practice. Let me say that again. Wisdom literature, the, the literature that we're reading in the Proverbs, is reflecting God's law in practice. In other words, the Proverbs are practical ways in which the believer applies God's law to his or her life. We often wonder what the will of God is for our lives. And all along, it's been right here in the Proverbs. So what knowledge would the Proverbs give us about work and our daily lives? Well, as we learned from the beginning of Proverbs, if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, knowledge about everything and anything, then we must start with what we know about the Lord in regards to work. And I pretty much jumped right in with Kathleen Nielsen and moved right where she did. Um, that brings us to the very beginning of all things when God created this world. In Genesis, we see a very hard-working God. And we see that his work is what? It's very, very good. His work is good. The creator of all things pours out his creativity and wonder and awesomeness over every square inch of creation. His creation. But why does he do this? He does it for others. He does it for us. This is very important. God's work is always sacrificial. It's always for another. It's outward focused. So that's how we are going to define work as well. The pouring out of ourselves in different capacities, in different areas or another. That is what work is. Just like an apple tree serves creation by producing apples, work is always for another. 
From the first words of scripture, we can begin to understand that God is the creator of work itself. And therefore, work and responsibility are part of what life, a wise life, is made of. So our work is truly part of what it means to be an image bearer in that as we work wisely, we reflect God himself. The divine mandates given to both Adam and Eve are centered around work. Genesis 1 says, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living creature that moves on the earth. At the apex of of the creation story, which is God creating men and women, God looks to both men and women and says, Now go and work. Serve one another. Here is your purpose. Here's how you are going to display my image to the world. Here's how you're going to reflect me. Work is good for men and women. So for the believer, this helps us develop a theology on how and why we work. Everybody tracking with me? Okay. In Wilson's commentary, um, which we were given to use as we prepared for our lectures, he takes us through an elongated list using the Proverbs on what the wise worker looks like. And that's what's included on your outline and should say Wilson at the bottom. So he gets all the credit for this. Wise workers are trustworthy and honest in both words and actions. They are diligent and hardworking. They plan for the future. They contribute to the profitability of their workplace. They are shrewd and show good judgment. They prepare for contingencies even COVID, as we were laughing um, in leaders' meeting this morning. They seek good advice. They are generous and just. They're careful with their speech, avoiding gossip, speaking kindly and building others up. And they are modest rather than proud or wealth-seeking. Okay, this list overwhelms me, right? With what my work should look like and what my attitude should be towards my work. But stepping back, kind of like step back, Um, from your overwhelmness, or maybe it's just me, um, I would like us to consider for a moment how these characteristics characteristics display the image of God in us. How glorious all of these traits really are and what our world would look like if each one of us worked this way all the time. Just take a minute to take that in, right? I want you to take these characteristics to the creation story. Or any place in scripture, really, because we know the Bible is a story of God's work. And how incredible it is to reflect on God the worker. I think it would be a fun exercise for you and I um, to think about uh, the narrative we see in God's word and connect these characteristics to God and those stories. Um, The creation story, the Exodus story, um, Noah, just uh, David, like how we see God work and move throughout the Old Testament and the New and attaching these characteristics uh, to his work. I think it's just fun. It'd be a fun thing to do. With With this list in mind, the Proverbs then contrast the wise worker with the sluggard. And it is here that we find ourselves torn between uh, really who we long to be and often who we really are. The brokenness of our world is not hard to discover. And in fact, in any job, in mere moments of beginning said job, you soon discover that work can be what? Anxiety-ridden, tedious, frustrating, seemingly pointless, overwhelming, lacking, unfulfilling, etc. Even working in the yard, which is something... 
that brings me a ton of joy and I love doing and I love thinking about it can immediately become frustrating. Uh, You can find really hard work, like dirt in your fingernails hard work, um, destroyed in seconds by insects, fungus, squirrels, uh, drought. Um, Sometimes one might leave the sprinkler system on all night and drown her plants. Um, And then sometimes one might find their children stomping all over newly planted efforts or pulling out beautiful flowers to come and give to mommy in a sweet gesture, but also like I just put those in the ground yesterday. (sighs) To be honest, there are days when I can't even empty the dishwasher without bitterness in my heart. Like who hasn't stood over the dishwasher and thought, why am I the one having to do this again? Oh, am I the only one? Okay. On a broader scale, throughout history, we have seen work used to denigrate the image of God in people. There is no time untouched by abuse and manipulation in the workplace. Both men and women and children have been victims and victimizers of one another through the use of work. We take what was meant to be done for another, and we make it about ourselves and our own gain. I know all of us have examples in our own lives where we've done this and where we've seen others do this. When sin entered the garden, it immediately entered the workplace. Our work, our work ethic, and our workplaces are broken by the fall. With all of this, the life of the sluggard starts to make a little more sense, doesn't it? It's too much for anyone to handle. Let's just stay in bed, right? There's a lion outside. There is. <laughs> there are places in the world where that's really true. Um, or my kids are outside, either way. <laughs> so what are we to do? If the proverb tells us, if the proverbs tell us what our work should look like practically in our everyday lives, yet we know all too well how broken by sin our work is, what is the solution? Is there any hope that we can in fact work and reflect God's image? This moves us quickly into point number two. Of course, Jesus, right? Jesus knows and redeems our work. Jesus knows and redeems our work. In Jesus, who is wisdom incarnate, we find hope and redemption for our broken and fallen work. On your handout, you'll see the same characteristics we talked about God having as a worker and the characteristics we are supposed to have as a worker to display his image Um, And of course, as the second member of the Trinity, Jesus shares the same attributes as a worker that God does. Um, And this list of scripture, which is on your handout, is not exhaustive at all. And Ryan and I had a really fun, like, Bible trivia time as we worked through where to go for these characteristics for Jesus. Um, And when I say not exhaustive, I mean, like, it is... This is like the least I could do. So there is so much more. But we had a good time. And I just want to encourage you, now that you have this framework for a biblical work ethic, to consider as you study the life and death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus, um, to look at him as this godly worker, as a worker. He's doing work. Um, But let's just take a minute to look at some of these. Trustworthy and honest in both words and actions. I think about Jesus' interaction with people and his, specifically his interaction with the woman at the well. He just tells her the truth, honestly. Um, and he serves her and engages with her, diligent and hardworking, feeding the 5,000, continuing to heal the sick, feeding more people, continuing to heal the sick. His whole ministry was this diligent hard work. Um, 
planning for the future. (laughs) Jesus knew exactly where he was going, right? He knew he was headed to the cross. And he tried to help people plan for their future by continuing to bring them the message of repent and believe. Repent and believe. Um, Contributing to the profitability of the workplace. Um, Just the healing of people and sending them back into the economy of that nation. The ripple effects of that are real. Shrewd, showing good judgment. Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees. Um, preparing for contingencies. I put Jesus calming the storm. I, I want to challenge y'all to help me out with this one. But I, I just, like, Jesus knew what was coming. He could read people's minds. He understood what they were thinking. The next question, he knew he was ready. Um, seeking good advice. Where would Jesus go? I put the high priestly prayer here. I also thought about um, his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane before his death. He goes to the Father. He goes to the Father. Uh, generous and just, careful with speech and words, speaking kindly and building, building each other up. I think about Peter's restoration and the finger pointing and the judgment that Jesus could have poured down on Peter. Um, and instead, what, is, what does he do? He gives this, him this beautiful opportunity for redemption. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep three times, just like Peter's three denials of him. It's, it's just this glorious picture of an, an opportunity when Jesus could have torn him down. He built him up and sent him out into the world. Modest rather than proud or well-seeking. Jesus washed it, the king of the universe washes his disciples' feet. And not just, in, like, and washes Judas's feet, guys. Washes his betrayer's feet. And of course, in Mark ten forty five, we hear these words, the Son of Man came not to serve, but to, or came not to be served, but to, to serve. Let that sink in. If I can sound like... <laughs> I wish I could sound like I'm borrowing some phrasing from Paige Brown, um, who I've been listening to quite a bit. She's a, um, a lady in Nashville who teaches the Bible better than anyone I know. And I've been listening to her quite a bit, um, these last few weeks as she's done another study, but this is her, there is no one that works harder than Jesus. And she uses this in the context of suffering. There's no one who suffers like Jesus. Hey, there's no one who works harder than Jesus. Jesus knows exactly what it feels like to work in a broken world. And while we may find our work frustrating, we aren't perfect. We're often the frustrators. So I can only imagine what it must have been like for someone, Jesus, who does things perfectly all the time to come into this world and work. Um, I'm always struck as a mother of young children Um, How I actually have had to teach my children how to say thank you. Thank you for the clothes we have. Thank you for the breakfast. Thank you for the lunch. Thank you for the dinners forever. Um, Thank you for taking care of me when I was sick. Thank you for loving me um, even when I'm terrible. Thank you for all the work that you do on my behalf. I have to look at my children after dinner and say, what do you need to say? Thank you for this wonderful dinner. You're welcome. (laughs) We have to be taught gratitude, guys. It's, it's not in us. We think we deserve it. My children think they deserve dinner every night. They need it. That's, it's one thing to need it. They think they deserve it. 
Nobody understands um, that we work hard and we are often never given the satisfaction of a simple thank you. Nobody understands that more than Jesus, guys. And in fact, it's a bit more amplified, isn't it? Um, Coming to the earth with the sheer purpose of the work of saving our souls from eternal condemnation, what happens to Jesus? He's misunderstood. He's abused. He's overlooked. He's disrespected. He's ridiculed. He's not taken seriously. And never receives from those he came to save any form of payment. Jesus does not get paid. (laughs) Ever. Um, And the beauty of the gospel is that we are his reward. (laughs) He came to save a bunch of sluggards. And that's who he gets in return. And that's that's all he wants. So then, of course, he comes to the cross where he sacrifices everything he has to accomplish his work of redemption, giving his body and soul as the payment for bad work that he never did. This should make his final words of it is finished ring even more true in our ears. Jesus is the diligent worker. It is finished. Jesus, the diligent worker, finishes what we started. And what is Jesus doing now? He's still working. Hebrews tells us he is living to intercede for those who come to God through him. God hasn't stopped in the midst of our fallible actions. He continues to work on our behalf. And it's in all of these things that we should find hope. And what should that hope cultivate in us? This is our application for the morning. It it should cultivate dependence and patience. As believers, when God looks at our work, what does he see? He sees the perfect work of Christ. So when you find yourself frustrated, unabled, or disabled, when you find that you yourself are the sluggard, what should you do? Lean in, press in, rest in the finished work of Christ. Come back to his promises that his burden is light. And that's all you have to carry. This is what the Holy Spirit promises he will do in us. When we, by the Spirit's power, press into the promises of God, who we know is trustworthy, when we discover by the Spirit's power the truth of, I will never leave you or forsake you, We can enter into our work with patience, knowing that, yes, I will be frustrated. Yes, I will not do this perfectly. Yes, there will be times when I am not grateful, nor do I receive gratitude. But I will press on independence with patience. I will work by the power of the Spirit for the glory of the Lord and not for the glory of myself. And guess what's even crazier? God will use your work. The ripple effect of work done well and work done poorly can be profound. And yet God uses all of it for his purposes. This would have been the perfect spot for a Cobra Kai illustration. And I just want to apologize that I did not have the forethought to put that in there. (laughs) Um, So there's this language in the Proverbs that's really beautiful about what kind of what you feed and what you starve 
Um, and a saying that we like to use in our house is what you feed grows and what you starve dies. So if you want to be a great soccer player, you got to feed work in those legs. You got to feed that practice of kicking. You've got to feed that. Um, if you want to be the goalie, you've got to feed that practice of defense and being ready. What you feed grows, what you starve dies. So Proverbs is telling us what to feed and what to starve. And I'm going to close with this. By the power of the Spirit, I will feed gratefulness for my abilities, and I will starve in gratitude for what I cannot do. If there is one thing that just has boiled my blood over the last six months is that it has been a constant focus on what we can't do during this pandemic. What we can't do. And the energy wasted on what we can't do is energy that we could have put towards what we can do. What can we do? You know what we can do? We can go for a walk with someone else. We can make a phone call. We can do a FaceTime. We can go to the grocery store, and it's glorious. And if you can't go to the grocery store, you can order your groceries. It is 2020, and the technology available to us to survive this pandemic is incredible. I'll stop. I can keep going. But um, I will starve in gratitude for what I cannot do. I will feed good rest, and I will starve idleness. I really hope you all had some wonderful conversations in your small group about the difference between rest and idleness. I will feed good rest. I will make time for good rest. I will plan good rest. And I will starve idleness. Um, I'm somewhat into the Enneagram, and I don't know if y'all are even familiar with this. It's like a personality test. It's really fun. Okay, so I'm a three. I know that I'll come as a huge shock to some of y'all who know me. But um, one of the things that I've learned about myself is... In stress, my go-to, if I'm overwhelmed, and threes like to have a lot of goals, they like to achieve goals, they like to do a lot of things, okay? But when that becomes overwhelming, or when I feel, or when what I have to do isn't something I want to do, my go-to reaction is basically like, crawl in my bed, pull the covers up, turn the lights down, and just turn the television on and totally check out. And I can do that for a real long time, like real long time. And the way the Enneagram has helped me, just kind of silly, but it works. I mean, what are you going to say it works? Is to take a very small task that I know I can accomplish to set a literal timer and go accomplish that task. So when I say that I'm, I can feel the weight of stress. I can feel myself getting overwhelmed. And it's probably because I haven't rested properly and I've overworked. However, that's, put that to the side. I will look at, like, there's a pair of shoes in the hallway. And I will say, Alexa, set a timer for 10 minutes. I'm, I'm giving myself a very wide margin. And In those 10 minutes, I will put the shoes away where they belong. And accomplishing that very small goal, it's, it like just resets the way I feel. It's like, okay, next, 
like one more step ahead, one more step ahead. It's really strange. Anyway, it's my personality. Um, so I will start starving idleness for me can actually look like deep breath, set a timer, go do one small thing, like keep going. Um, I lost my, okay. Okay. I will feed diligence and starve slacking. And the slacking is not idleness. Remember, slacking is that not finishing the work. So my husband, who I love dearly, and I really love this about him, will take a long time to start a project because he is strangely a bit of a perfectionist. Like when he starts it, it it's going to be get done and it's going to be done really, really well. And it has set... It has set such such an example for me because I'm more of a, that's good enough. That's fine. It's fine. That's what I can, that's what I can give right now. It's fine. Um, but I love Ryan's kind of, it, it's just really part of his personality. Like if he starts something, he finishes it all the way through and it's done really well. Feeding that diligence and starving that slacking is some, is, is application here. Okay. Sorry, I will feed these virtues. And how will I feed these virtues? I will feed these virtues with the word of the Lord. That says, in Jesus, my work is made righteous. In Jesus, I know that one day, all of the frustrations I have found in work here on this earth will be made glorious, perfectly fruitful. And I can believe this confidently. I'm going to end with this. Because my Savior is still working. Jesus is still working. And if I can leave you, if I want you to leave here with anything, that's all I want you to leave here with. Jesus is still working. And I want you to take that and I want you to hide it in your heart. And in those moments of hopelessness, in those moments of bitterness at the dishwasher, in those moments of, I don't like the job that I have to do, um, I want you to remember that Jesus is still working. And then I want you to have hope and patience as you work. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you so much and we give you all the praise that you are still working even now to intercede for us and to draw those um, that you love to yourself. Lord, use us to be a part of this work. In all of the areas of life that we are all involved in, all over our city, use us to be a part of your work. Father, give us hope and patience in our work. And would you use our work to display your image to the watching world. And pray all this in your name. Amen.